0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast with your host, as always, myself, Alex Connor. Where, yeah, you know, we talk about everything training, nutrition, and lifestyle with a more three dimensional view. And this week, I'm with Brandon Schultz, and he's joining me all the way from Canada. I've got my shirt off, guys. You're gonna to have to deal with that because it's about a thousand degrees here in Australia, for the local listeners. But back in your end of the world, my friend, it's completely different. Brandon, thanks for joining me. What's the weather like over there? Paint us a picture.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's cold. It's cold right now. We had a nice winter so far, but uh, just over the past week, it's hit like minus 20 or so, and you know, freezing. Car starting. Car starting. Uh, not as well as it used to. So not like I can really go anywhere,
0: but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a bit like that, isn't it? Obviously, we've got a little bit more freedom, you know, in this part of the world at the minute. A lot of my friends and uh, associates, practitioners, including yourself, getting it a little bit tougher, but making the most of it. And I guess, you know, it's funny because a lot of Australians, they seem to gravitate towards Canada and, and vice versa. I've got lots of Canadian friends here. It seems to be this whole like switcheroo. Uh, which is pretty cool. It's, it's so different, but there are so many similarities. I feel the culture is very welcoming and people are very relaxed and calm over there.
1: Yeah. Like I can't, I can't speak to that necessarily, but anyone who I've met is like, yeah, it's, they're almost like the friends that I already have, like laid back, chill, you know, to see the world in this, in this way that, you know, it's not always, you know, serious and just enjoy life as it comes.
0: Yeah, man, I think uh, that's a really good, simple way of putting it right. I mean, ultimately, that is it. the best, the best answer on what to do with your life yet. Enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. and, and if exactly. that's what you get out of the podcast, you've done well. But I'm sure there's a lot more value. Brandon, as always, give some context to the listeners, people who may not be familiar with you. Tell us you know, who you are, what you do, and of course, more importantly, why you do it. Take your time. It can be as short or as intricate as you like. So uh, as
1: uh, Alex said, um, my name's Brandon. Um, I'm a strength coach and uh, an oxygen advantage instructor here in Canada. Um, there's only a few of us for the oxygen Oxygen advantage out there in Canada. I think there's about 13 or so. So we're pretty few and far between. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I kind of got into this because, you know, getting up in high school, just wanted to feel better, look better. You know, the typical reasons why you go to the gym. And then, you know, I kind of realized that it's so much more than just, you know, looking better, you know, the mental benefits and whatnot. Um, I've got injured in high school as, you know, not lifting properly. And uh, I've had to go through, you know, some injuries myself. And it's made me appreciate that having someone to coach you through something like that can be very beneficial. And I think for myself, I wanted to be able to, you know, not only coach people through injury but also help them do what they can to not get injured in the first place it's something that i wish that i had growing up myself and uh yeah very much so that's that's kind of why i do what i do i just want to help people in all aspects of their life
0: for sure and i think that's at the the core of you know any good coach with great ethics and values i mean ultimately we just enjoy helping people in the line of work that we have a fascination and a healthy curiosity for which is usually um spurred on by an yeah. experience in earlier in our lives what was a, a protagonist because obviously you know we're going to talk about all things you know within this realm but breathing is going to be a bit of a topical point for us and oxygen yeah. how did you stumble across that element and was there any person, influence, memory, like obviously with the rehabilitative side of things that inspired you to dig a little bit deeper in that area before we kind of unpack that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, when I first got into this kind of industry, um, obviously education was a very important thing to me. Um, I didn't go to university um, formally for, for training or exercise education or anything like that or kinesiology, whatever you call it. know in different parts of the world but um uh i took after i took um a personal training diploma in my in my hometown um i realized that there was just a lot of knowledge that was not given out so you have to go out and search for that knowledge and take courses and education and stuff that's something i'm sure you're familiar with and people listening i'm sure can resonate with as well um so i found a I found a certification and uh it was one of those certifications that are offered through good life and it kind of had a lasting impact on me. But one of the first things that they talked about was the importance of breathing. And I learned about, um, the oxygen advantage through there. So this was a couple of years ago now. Um, and you know, I started implementing it and I started seeing some improvements in my clients lives. Now from there, I would say like, I didn't really pay it much attention. And then I sort of got involved with some of the, the the guys over at Prescript, you know, the Jordan Shallow, and I had heard him on a podcast um, about a year after I took that course. And he was talking about breathing and I was like, hey, wow, this is something that like I find interesting. I've, I implement, but not to a high level. And I was like, you know, I think I think this is the direction that I want to take my career and I want to, you know, double down on because it's something that is so sort of forgotten if you think about it, right? Because, you know, we breathe on autumn, we breathe on autopilot all day long. Right. And, uh, it's something that's kind of just overlooked in the industry and in life. So I, uh, took it upon myself to go to the oxygen advantage, go to, to, uh, Patrick McKeown himself. And I started, uh, their advanced instructor certification. And, uh, from there, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just same story.
0: Yeah. There's a good point, though, you make about it's something that's become so autonomous and we take it for granted, but it's so pivotal. The other, I guess, element that springs to mind to use a comparison is sleep, um, which, wow, we won't go down that rabbit hole today. But (laughs) (laughs) once again, super powerful, something that you just have to do and it happens even if you resist it, just like breathing, but yet we don't really understand it as much as we should, as much as there's more studies coming out on it. And I think breathing is one of those key elements where it's like, okay, it's something we're going to do. It's something we naturally do, but if we change it, understand it, and we implement it well, we can have these massive impacts. And I guess that's something I really want to unpack with you. So I guess before we, again, pick at it, unpack it, dive deeper, I guess from a mechanistic point of view, could you explain for the listeners breathing more from the physiological sense and you can keep it as simple or as complex as you want and we'll sort of streamline it where you know what are the mechanisms that are happening in breathing if that is something that is important to the definition of being able to breathe you know better um and i guess just giving a bit of context or maybe some of the words that were used throughout this podcast so people can understand when you're saying you know maybe inhalation exhalation things like that some basics and then people go okay i know what he's talking about here and then they can start to perhaps implement and, and understand it a little bit more i think definition is always key before we dive into a subject does that make sense Yep. Yeah. That's a And that's a lot to unpack as
1: well, right? Like we could probably spend two hours just talking about that or a whole day talking about just the physiological responses. But I think one of the big things that I'm going to talk about is just the functional breathing pattern training kind of stuff that, that the oxygen advantage dives into, mm-hmm. you know, things like, like this proper breathing patterns, you know, it improves blood circulation, oxygen delivery to the cells, right. Um, through, Uh, nasal breathing, we can dilate the upper airways of the nose, the lower airways and the lungs, um, reduce, you know, in exercise induced bronchor restriction, you know, like you mentioned, sleep focus, concentration, um, all of those things have, uh, have a big part to play in the the benefits of breathing for sure. So Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think understanding that nose breathing or nasal breathing is where we all have to start in order to go in order to really proceed with the breathing stuff. Um, and you know, if, if that's not taken care of, then really nothing else works well. Okay. Um, yeah. So thinking about, um, the way we breathe through the nose, uh, is obviously important for us to look at.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's dive down that. That's something I wanted to chat to you about. I've recently discovered that I'm definitely a mouth breather, which (laughs) me being a perfectionist is like. Got to change this one. <laughs> got to change it real fast. Not good, but it makes sense because you know I've always someone who's not done well in air conditioning or even waking up with a dry mouth and a blocked nose. Someone who's got quite a sensitive nose, and I think we might even cover this as well. I think some people may need—I don't know if it's true—but surgery. Some people have got adenoids or whatnot, or, or can't do it. Yeah. But I've always sort of struggled with that area, and I look back over my life and think about you know what i've gone through with breathing and it's not nothing major but i'm like oh it's starting to make sense now and even like from the dental point of view as well i had to have braces and all that and i think we it'd be great if we could just i guess talk about that fact because i that's pretty mind-blowing as it is but let's dive down that road of nasal breathing uh whatever context you feel like we need to and obviously streamlining it in a way where we can unpack whatever you think i guess the critical areas are given the time that we we have on the podcast brandon and maybe we may you know we may do a part two at some point as well and unpack it a little bit further because it is i think this is more important than people realize absolutely
1: yeah and and i think uh like when you first come out of the womb like you physically can't breathe out of your mouth like so i think that's something important to take about or take or to think about because you know we're not we we weren't doing it when we were first coming out of the out of the womb so why should we be mouth breathing you know uh, right now there was a book that i i read and it was um it's called uh, Shut Your Mouth and Save Your Life by uh, George Catlin. And oh. it was really interesting to me because they, um, he had followed or he had, he, had, he had done some research into some of the indigenous tribes and spent time with them. And he found that even them, like being these completely recluse uh, tribes, they would, um, uh, the mothers of the children would actually pinch their mouths, the children's mouths closed when they started to breathe through their mouth. So it's like these remote, you know, tribes knew what to do, but somehow we've lost sort of all capability of that going forward, growing up. Um, very
0: primal, very primal.
1: Yeah, very primal. Exactly. And that's something that I talk about a lot too, is that it's breathing as a primal movement. It's one of the first things, again, for what, what do you do when you first come out of your womb? You take, you take your first breath on your own. Um, now going down the nasal breathing route, it's like I say that, you know obviously it's more important or it's the most important thing and that if that's not uh if that's not taken care of then um then nothing else can really be taken care of well at least mm-hmm. um and, th- and the reason is there's a couple there's a couple reasons so the first one that we see um is nasal nitric oxide and i say nasal nitric oxide because you know nitric oxide is produced in the body naturally. But uh, through the nose, if we can stimulate and we can breathe a little bit slower, we can stimulate uh, nitric oxide production in the, into the, the paranasal sinuses. And that um, not only helps unblock your nasal passages. So just the act of breathing through your nose can unblock your nose, which makes it easier to then breathe through your nose. But um, is good to know. yeah, absolutely. So that's that's the big thing as well. And then it also it also has another. Couple benefits of um, it. Uh, nitric oxide will also improve um, blood oxygen perfusion in the lungs. It um, also it's uh, it, it's actually a a natural you know antibacterial. So there's actually for COVID, especially it's it's kind of uh, relevant now. But they're doing UK or trials in the UK with uh, nitric oxide nasal spray. Now they're not really talking about the fact that we can produce that naturally in the nasal passages, but um, it just goes to show you how kind of important it is for the prevention of disease and whatnot, especially when it's a line of defense. All right. The other, the other uh, couple of benefits that you see is that it's a restriction to airflow, which is important for um, you know breathing in slower, actually using your diaphragm efficiently, and uh, increasing carbon dioxide, which is something that we call the Bohr effect, which, which we can talk about later too. Um, and then also it warms and humidifies incoming air so you don't get that uh that bronchoconstriction that breathing through your mouth can cause as well right you say you wake up with a dry mouth and uh one of the main things with nasal breathing and versus mouth breathing is that the actually the, the water loss itself is about 42% that is this so far what research says. I don't, I don't know if it's actually true. I've never studied it, but water Mm. loss um, can be reduced by 42% just by nasal breathing itself. Wow.
0: So, Yeah. I guess that may, I mean, only uh, from a hydration perspective, that's a big impact, but even somewhere in Australia, like a warmer climate um, that's going to really leave you dehydrated. Um, And yeah, it it is. It's something that I guess as of recently listening to your podcasts um, with Jordan and you know speaking to a couple of friends as I mentioned before we got started who brought this to my attention a little bit more and I'm someone who is always you know humble in the fact that there is more to learn and I'm very curious hence my podcast and I think there's definitely improvements and I really want to get a grasp on this and and not just for myself but for, for my clients for the people in my circle of influence and I guess The really knee-jerk reaction now and perhaps we need to unpack it a little bit more in other areas but is how do you as you said start with nasal breathing how do you start to do this is it you know obviously people are going to be quite shocked to go put tape on your mouth at night but there's there's a process and a procedure to this someone has said to me hey just start doing it during the day when you work what are some of your i guess um steps with the people you work with to get them effectively nasal breathing as soon as possible in a way that is, you know, it's sustainable and it's going to be a nice sort of gradual process. Obviously people are going to be a little bit different. Um, can you talk us through that please, Brandon?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, uh, nasal breathing, like I said, just so important. Um, I've had, I've had clients myself with, you know, that come to me just specifically for breathing and, um, I've had one client in particular that comes to mind, and uh, I know Patrick McKeown has gone through this himself, but um, client has gone through surgeries, multiple surgeries, he's going through dental procedures and stuff like that to correct some of the stuff that uh, arises from mouth breathing or chronic mouth breathing. But uh, at all this time, no medical professional uh, has ever told them just to breathe th- through their nose. Okay, And like I, like I alluded to with the nitric oxide, simply breathing through the nose is one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. So step one, I would say, is just be self-aware. Notice your breathing patterns at, uh, at uh, all hours of the day and uh, try and breathe your nose as much as you can. Now, if you have troubles breathing, obviously do what you can. But uh, if you can breathe through your nose for a minute, chances are you can probably breathe through your nose for life. for life. Um, so there's some nasal, um, unblocking exercises that we can do something really simple. Everyone can do you, uh, simply take a normal breath in, into the nose, out through the nose, you can pinch your nose and then you can, um, pace back and forth, or you can nod your head as you're holding your nose. And, uh, this stimulates that buildup of nasal nitric oxide. Now you hold that for as long as you possibly can take a breath in. Um, that nitric oxide is uh, sent directly through your nasal passages to unblock and uh, do about five reps of that. And that can be one of the, the things that you actionably can do if you have trouble with, uh, you know, a blocked nose. You know? And then from there, it's just making sure you breathe your nose as much as you can. Uh, that's, that's really it. That's really the most important thing is just being aware enough to catch yourself and to try and breathe your nose and I know you alluded to um, like taping your mouth as well. Um, that's something I, I prescribe and I, um, what's it called? I obviously recommend, but you know, like you said, there's a, there's a kind of a process to that. So you got to start with the breathing and being able to breathe consistently through your nose during the day. Otherwise you're just gonna, you know, you're going to suffocate during the night and you're going to want to rip the tape off. Yeah. So yeah, if you're interested in, taping your mouth or if that's something you want to do just I would say try it about 15 minutes before bed Um, you don't need to start with a full mouth tape you can start with just a little bit in the middle of your lips so just in case you you uh, need to revert to some mouth breathing that's okay it's perfectly fine Um, but yeah just get comfortable with the uh, with the experience of breathing through your nose day to
0: day What kind of tape should you use apart from perhaps obviously not duct tape uh, it sounds like <laughs> a silly question but uh, you know obviously putting something abrasive on a soft part of the skin um can be a little bit intrusive and i asked my friend this and he goes that's actually a really good question and he yeah. recommended medical tape or the soft tape that you can get from the chemist but i don't know if you would recommend anything specifically because i know that was one of my questions i'm like okay what tape do we use here you know perforation (laughs) etc
1: yeah there's um you know it's really your choice you know i've heard of people using just that kind of kinesiology tape or that athletic kind of tape um i when i tape my mouth which is quite often because I, I've, you know, it's from childhood. I've had to get some dental work done to correct some mouth breathing because, you know, I was never told. But um, I use a. There's a company called. Um, uh, I think it's Simply Breathe. It used to be it used to be lip seal tape, but now I think it's called Simply Breathe. Um, that's one that will cover the whole mouth. Just a little piece of tape that looks like a mustache, almost. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that works. That's the stuff that I use. But. Um, if you're looking for a non-intrusive one, the one that I recommend to most of my clients, if they're hesitant is uh, through the oxygen advantage or the, the, uh, the Buteco clinic, uh, you can get something called myotape. And myotape is a physiotherapy tape, but it goes around the mouth. So it actually just works to close um, close your mouth, but there's still you know that way out without having to rip the tape off. Sure. Okay, so it's basically a big uh, circle around your mouth, and
0: those are the ones. Those are the ones that I would recommend. For sure, for sure, yeah. I might um, try and find those links uh, and yeah. put them put them in there. But I know that's it's probably pivotal. Um, getting something which is a little bit more. I guess, flexible, um, yeah. leading into that. But as you said, obviously, starting before bed, even yeah, just yeah. learning to breathe for your nose in general is going to be really critical. Now, obviously, this is going to be very individualized. so I don't expect yeah. a definitive answer for this one. But um, how long did it take you? Or how long? And also, how long did it generally take your clients who were mouth breathers you know most of their life to be able to integrate this and actually make it autonomous and is it something that once you do it generally stays that way or is it like a lot of skills where you have to keep practicing and you might like you just alluded to mm-hmm. continue use this tape from time to time to to ensure that you are you know still nasal breathing throughout the night throughout the day
1: yeah yeah it's it, it does um it does get better and more auto or automatic um typically You know, it can be, I've seen clients improve very quick and uh, hold on to it for a long time. Um, One thing that I've noticed is that when a client does start um, and we work our way through the program for about a month or a month and a half, two months, um, when they do stop or if they do, you know, fall off the wagon a little bit, um, it never goes back to as worse as it was when they started, which is is good. However, I think it is something that we need to, you know, uh, kind of keep up with every once in a while. I don't know if necessarily you need to do them every single day Um, after we've got your, you know, your bolt score to a point, which we can talk about later, but uh, got to a point where it's considered functional. Um, But yeah, I would say about a month to two months, then it starts to get a little bit more autonomic. And then, yeah. And then for me, right now, I I, I only take my mouth. If I I notice I wake up in the morning with a dry mouth, I'll be like, all right, well, I, I should next, next uh, bedtime,
0: I'll tape my mouth and hopefully it'll fix the problem. Yeah, yeah. Not sure. I guess that's a big giveaway as well uh, with that yeah. side of things. Um, sure. Another point perhaps to bring up, you were on about exercises before that you could do. Uh, yeah. I've, I've done a little bit of yoga over the past two years of mm-hmm. flexibility and mindfulness amongst other things. But one of the exercises that we sometimes do is blocking one side of the nose and, and breathing through alternate sides. I don't know if that has any benefit, um, based on the science that, you know, you're aware of, or if there is any other exercises like that, that have any merit, um, to do or whether it is perhaps a little bit more on the spiritual side of things, shall we say? yeah yeah
1: no absolutely that's a, I think that's what is that pranayama or something something that like is that is right?
0: correct yeah they yeah. use those um terms that, that the language i think it's what is it um i don't know it's it's from an indian um but they have the, the actual all of the proper authentic names which is but yes that that rings a bell
1: yeah i think i think that's what what it is but yeah i would say that's definitely one of the things that's important i think breathing is one of the you know one of the first things that you learn really in yoga and i think it's fantastic yeah doing that kind of alternated nose nasal breathing as well as you know i kind of mentioned that breathing through the nose itself is kind of a reduction to um uh airflow but uh if you can reduce it even further then yeah there's some some benefits there like i said with the nasal nitric oxide and and uh stimulating that parasympathetic nervous system which is important for yoga as well
0: Hmm. Absolutely. Before we segue into the, the bolt scores and a few other of those concepts, I wouldn't mind spending a little bit of time apart from the principles you've already mentioned, slaying some of the biggest misconceptions about breathing and perhaps on the opposite side of that highlighting some of the, I guess, the most interesting fun, but critical factors about breathing for people listening that are very sort of Okay this is some context, this is some real quick, rapid fire takeaways that, you know, including, I guess, maybe we go down and, and talk about, you know, how important it is for dental development and, and oral health, etc. And some of yeah. which you've already alluded to, but it would be cool to kind of bullet point a couple of those things, if possible, or whatever you see uh, fit that you would say, hey, look, if I've only got a limited amount of time, here's yeah. some of the biggest misconceptions, here's some of the big biggest benefits or like wow that's very very interesting because i know people always hang on to those and that can be the you know i guess the elixir for change a lot of the time
1: yeah absolutely yeah some of the like there's two big misconceptions that i see a lot of the time uh on the internet and one is kind of a fear-mongering around you know you're not using your diaphragm or you're not like you're not uh breathing with your diaphragm and that's kind of misleading in a way right like if you've ever been winded um, and you you know your diaphragm is spasming like you you can't breathe it's very difficult to breathe so uh, you're always you're always using your diaphragm it's just a matter of you know how to the like to the extent at which you're using it effectively and to its full range of motion because the diaphragm is still a muscle you can still train its full range um, so yeah you're always using your diaphragm but you know it's just a matter of the extent to which you're using it um, the other thing is you know taking a deep breath there's no there's no definition surrounding that it's just take a deep breath and everything is going to be okay when you know it's actually could be the way you're taking a deep breath could be detrimental to your breathing habits now when i say that i mean when i think when i say a deep breath i say a deep diaphragmatic breath right so using your full um, diaphragm to its potential and then um Whereas most people, when you think a deep breath, you think the amount of air that you're taking in. So you take thinking, you think about taking in a lot of air, which can actually be detrimental to, uh, yeah, your breathing. So those are the two kind of misconceptions that I that I see kind of propounded around or around the internet a lot.
0: Mm. Um, I want to I want to quickly yeah. jump in on that one. Yeah. And yeah, Go on a bit of a tangent, if that's all right. Um, I love tangents. Hey, mate, I'm great at them. (laughs) Brilliant. All the listeners are like, here we go. Usually some good that comes out of it. But now I don't know if this was actually Patrick McEwen or or someone, obviously someone in the breathing space, but it was more, a YouTube video and I watched it yonks ago Mm -hmm. and it was a TED talk. And it said, you know, being in the zone all the time. I was like, oh, this is interesting, right? Obviously, it's a nice clickbait title. And I clicked on this video and it talked about breathing. And I think you may know what I'm talking about. And stop me if it's a load of Cobb's Wallop because we'll slay it. And he said, you know, when people go on stage when they go do something, they say, hey, you know, break a leg or take a deep breath and relax. And he says, it shouldn't be a deep breath. It should be a rhythmic breath. And he went on to allude about how breathing changes the psychology and ultimately, the physiology controls the psychology and vice versa. And there's this is constant relationship. And ultimately, I'll streamline it for everyone listening, but he went through this process. And I'm not going to go for it because I can't remember all the the you know definitions and key, I guess, lingo, if you like. But it was ultimately creating a ratio and a pacing in your breathing, mainly through nose breathing, in and out, where in a situation, and I think this is what you were talking about in terms of the fight or flight response, where if you can tap into that and you can stop yourself. It's you know he was sort of like hyperventilating, and he was like you know that's, <laughs> you know that's, that's a double-edged sword. But if you can try and get, a, he says even if it's like three to one, seven or two, whatever it is, he goes if you can can just control it again. He goes usually then your physiology is controlled, which controls the psychology, and you can be very focused. And he was mm-hmm. using examples like um, you know. Being in say taking penalties in a world cup and i think he actually got someone on the stage and arithmetic wise he all these math questions at them and he measured their breathing and it was all out of whack and then he gave them he talked about this in front of the person who was still on the stage and said this is how we do it and he said this is what i want you to do and he did the same thing and he gave him maths problems and he was just shouting numbers and confusing him but he was able to remain composure call it a magic trick but Obviously, there's something in that. I don't know if you want to speak to that and perhaps clarify those elements if there's any merit to them. But it's something that always stuck with me. But I didn't. I guess this is a, a different element, perhaps, of just the breathing. But it's obviously part of the whole ecosystem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the like the effect, uh, the underlying effect is called uh, respiratory sinus arrhythmia. So uh, RSA. It's kind of one of those things where. You know, you can't really have a, a, a good conversation about breathing unless you really talk about RSA. Okay. Um, and essentially what this is, is, is uh, and it sounds kind of sinister, but as you're, as you're breathing, your, your breath rate is uh, synced to your heart rate. Okay. So if you're, when you're inhaling, because you're getting the more oxygen rich uh, air into your lungs, um, that's going to speed up your heart rate so that it can more efficiently clear that oxygen and get it to your cells. Right now, when you de- when you uh, exhale, your heart rate starts to slow down. So if we can get a more rhythmic breath, like you said, um, and we can get I, I typically like there's some math behind it. and I won't I will spare the audience the math. But uh, oh, that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So uh, having um, having a, a like a, a, a six breaths per minute kind of pace. So four seconds in, um, six seconds out that's kind of the, kind of the optimal rate that you should be trying to breathe. Obviously you can go, um, a little bit more into the, in exhale. So you can do a one to two ratio. So inhale for four, exhale for eight. If you're really wanting to calm yourself down,
0: right? that that would
1: be, yeah. Um, so having that rate, right. If you think about the, 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 process of hyperventilation or like when your heart rate starts to increase right you can actually tap into that with your breathing and you can decrease your heart rate simply by slowing down the exhale and having a full exhale right so that's going to absolutely calm you down and it, it'll help you keep your composure to a certain degree hmm. i know i've worked with um that and and uh, and uh, breath holding some with golfers. I don't know if you're a, you're a golfer yourself, but I worked with some golfers and and they felt that um, when they get to that first tee, it's always the most nerve-wracking, right? And you got a, people watching you, people lined up ready to tee off behind you, and uh, they found that they're very you know nervous or anxious about messing up. So just getting them to slow their breath down, or just completing a, a small breath hold, a couple small breath holds, that can sort of tap into that parasympathetic nervous system and calm yourself down a little bit
0: Hmm. yeah it's fascinating how we can tap into that and almost i mean hack could be a word people love hacks right (laughs) um but once again it's it's not magic i I think it's just understanding the mechanism being present and then applying it over time so that you can go hang on i can take control of this i understand the you know i guess subconscious mechanisms that are going on in the body but if i have an awareness, you know, I can then perhaps take control of that a little bit more and direct it in a way which is a little bit more advantageous for a, a more optimal outcome, shall we say. Absolutely. I did I did dive in on you before. So if you wanted to continue, I think you, you named two points which were the biggest misconception or pivotal. I don't know if you wanted to add on to that or, or any other interesting facts. If not, we can continue on.
1: Yeah, I think that was uh, that was mainly the misconceptions that, that I wanted to cover. Was there anything else that we w- were going through with that question? I can't remember.
0: It was more <laughs> on the opposite side of it. Um, interesting, fun, uh, or insightful facts about breathing that most people would be shocked by. And it could even be like, for example, we can, you can talk about the dental element, the oral health element of it, because I know that, that really blew my mind, um, especially as... Uh, I'm going to have one of my best friends, he's a powerlifter. He's also a dentist, but he loves it. He's very, very good at what he does. And he's come coming to talk about oral health again, you know, something else that can elongate your life, which sounds ludicrous to say, but when you understand it, it really does. Um, so I thought, okay, that, that is really, really interesting when you talked about the development of, of teeth. So perhaps that's something you can unpack, but then there might be other things as well that are very simple, but, they leave people going, wow, you know what? That's some food for thought right there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's one of those things that, you know, you don't really realize until it's too late, right? So if you can kind of, if you're listening to this podcast and, you know, you've got kids or whatever, it's something that you can think about. Just like those indigenous tribes I talked about earlier, like tell your kid to breathe through their nose, right? Um, so some of like the, the dental health stuff is like, um, obviously there's some like crooked teeth that can happen simply from breathing through your nose, as well as um, I believe just the bacteria and whatnot in your mouth as well. And that obviously, you know, that correlates to things like cavities or um uh gum disease, things like that. Um f- the other things you you see that that are kind of interesting with with mouth breathing developmentally is um you know, you can say forward head posture. There's, there's some things, there's some science around that. Um, I don't know how much I'm a believer in posture and and whatnot. I think it's very dynamic and it changes, you know, you can adjust that. Um, but there's something there that there is a link between mouth breathing and children and develop developing that forward head or nerd neck or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, with, with children, like I've, I've heard growing up like the the term mouth breather or right. Like I've I've heard, I've heard that. I'm sure you've heard that. Um, and that's, that's a thing, right? Like there is, if you actually look at some, some longitudinal studies about, uh, there's, there's one in particular, if you look up mouth breathing face, I think on Google, um, you can actually see a study that followed a, a child. Um, and you can see that, that, uh, the, the nose is crooked. You get crooked teeth uh, your jaw gets a little bit more set back and you have a very narrow face. Um, that's one of the things that are linked to, to mouth breathing in developmental you know, situations. So it's kind of interesting to see that there is like, there is actually some, you know, signs that you do mouth breathe.
0: Yeah. That is very fascinating to me. Yeah. Very much so. And that the, the dental world is quite, yeah. I guess, aware of this more than ever, but, they i guess not that it's should fall on them to educate everyone but i feel like it should be something more prevalent and, you know as we talked about the start prevention is better than cure and i guess you know you can't help everyone but if you can provide people with information at that age when they're young even for parents say hey look this is something that's not it's like hey you know what brush your teeth once a day yeah, it's a simple yeah. thing like eat your fruit and vegetables so like, okay briefly you know is where you can but here's why Okay, if you tell people why, you give them purpose, you give them understanding. It's like me just saying, hey, just train your legs. So, like, okay, it might be seem pretty obvious, but if I tell you why you should train your legs, and it's more just not from an aesthetic, but a functional perspective, and I give you more definition, you're more likely to do it, because now you've got a why, now you've got a purpose. So perhaps there's um, not, not for us to put the world to rights there, but I think it would be a great... Um, merit to have that information more accessible and out there to for yeah, people when yeah. they're developed I know yeah. I I think you know that would have been lovely to know uh, obviously what hindsights a great thing within that respect
1: yeah and okay. I mean not well, not just dentists either but like doctors as well like I've had mm-hmm. again I've, I've had clients where or where they've again they've come to me for breathing and and they they go to their doctors and you know for things like blood pressure and people aren't looking at breathing patterns for for that or or they tell their doctor oh yeah i'm doing some some breathing work and it's been improving my symptoms and they're like all right well here's some medication it doesn't really matter and you know and that's okay there's, no, there's nothing like if they don't know they don't know and you can't say anything but that's where you know people like you come in or like me where we're trying to spread some knowledge around this situation right i growing up i had a i had a retainer that Um, because you get that kind of narrow jaw. I actually had a retainer that I had to crank every day, just slightly. And it widened my jaw and, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but now I do looking back and I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. And clearly that was a, you know, a developmental thing for me because I used to mouth breathe and no one told me any different, but, uh, yeah, I think that that onus is, uh, it's, it's, it's getting there. I think people just need to be aware of it.
0: For sure. I wonder if that um, I might experiment on myself with this as well, you know, getting into and becoming more of a nose breather, if at this stage of my life, almost being 30 years old, whether I can still change that physiology um, with obviously with body fat percentiles, you know, you can appear leaner in the face, but it'd be kind of interesting to see if I if I notice a change within the jaw, um, even at my age i know that i i was i can't remember who it was but it was someone else who got a bridge and you know they'd started to nasal breathe and they had found in their experience that they were also a similar age that their jaw seemed to be more developed and wider from um becoming a nasal breather i don't know if you have any evidence or knowledge to support that what are your thoughts if you if you want to speak to that a little bit brandon
1: yeah yeah i think there i think there is some some uh You know, evidence surrounding that Uh, there's something that, you know, one of those little things like I talk about nasal breathing every day. But one of those things that also kind of contribute to it is um, just uh, resting tongue position. So Mm -hmm. your tongue should be resting on the top of uh, the top of your mouth, the roof of your mouth. And um, that's one of those things that if you've ever heard of uh, mewing or something like that, it's uh, it does actually kind of define the jaw a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So as you breathe and you become more aware of where your tongue is in your body, it's, it's uh, it does definitely develop the jaw or it more, more so just reveals what you've already got essentially. Right. Mm. And obviously, obviously fat levels have some, some, uh, uh, degree. To which it affects that, but when you get leaner, yeah, you can definitely tell.
0: For sure. Well, I'll definitely be doing that because I've always wanted a David Coulthard, Mark Webber jawline for the Formula One connoisseurs around us. It's <laughs> it's funny actually because I um you know when I was young you have a bit more fat on the face. Some people develop quite a good jawline early. Again, now this knowing this information, this could be possibly why, apart from individualized physiology as it is. But um, I've always found to be very masculine um, and a good looking trait. I think most people would agree, but there's some people who do not like it. And I guess that's me being perhaps a little cosmetic and superficial, but it's almost like when someone's competing, I'm like, yeah, you look like a borderline ice addict. But at some point before you get to that point, I'm like, it looks good. It looks sharp. It looks clean. And I always use the example. I say, hey, look, look at your parents when they're in their 20s, get some photos and look at them now in their 30s, 40s, where they, they will have a more definitive jawline. Usually you just lose a bit of fat around the face. But I think that's a good uh, point to know. Um, moving on or dovetailing from that. Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's worth now talking about the Bolt uh, methodology or before we do, I'm hearing some audiences screaming about Wim Hof. It yeah. would be... An absolute disservice if we didn't mention this and perhaps it's not going to be what people expect, but obviously he's, you know, come into this space, well exposed, well marketed from his, you know, stunts that he's, um, you know, achieved and done and continues to do. I've read his books. I understand it for the most part, but I think it's a little out of context. So I'd love for you to talk about him, his methodologies, and perhaps some of the principles, behind what he's saying and where that fits actually in the hierarchy of the breathing because i think a lot of people kind of just jump in and think um that they can do things that they perhaps shouldn't be doing and they don't understand the difference between what the cold exposure does versus the breathing element because i think they're two separate entities that do correlate but at the same time they are in different silos. So um run wild and run free with that question, please. sir.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, I think the thing with the Wim Hof is that it's, you know, you, you kind of look at it just like any other breathing is that it's almost like this kind of, you know, namaste uh, as Jordan would put it, namaste in bed type, <laughs> of, type of thing. Right. And yeah. it's very, you know, people see it as like a hippie thing or, and, uh, obviously Wim Hof doesn't really, uh, do much to, to change that, not to, not to talk down on him. I think he's a fantastic dude, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's the, the oxygen advantage and Wim Hof are two opposite things. So, uh, the oxygen advantage focuses on, um, uh, the buildup of carbon dioxide and, and living and, uh, competing in an, in a carbon dioxide rich environment, whereas, uh, with the... Wim Hof, you're really trying to get rid of as much carbon dioxide and kind of uh, purge yourself of that as much as, you, as much as possible. So you're exposing yourself to high oxygen levels. So um, the main difference is that I think with other than the cold stuff, I think that there can be a benefit. I, I can't speak to the cold therapy. I've, you know, I've seen research that supports it. I've seen research that debunks it. I, I honestly, I've never experimented with it. So I can't speak accurately to that um but what i can speak to is i think that i think there can be a benefit of of getting into a sympathetic state and then being able to um come down from that sympathetic state uh you obviously run into some dangers there right so if you start to um let's say you start to do some of the hyperventilation stuff right as you hyperventilate some of that blood is uh is a the oxygen levels in, in being sent to your brain are reducing. Okay, now that's where we get into something called the Bohr effect. Where the Bohr effect is is really one of those kind of first principles. Just like RSA, uh, the Bohr effect is something that you need to look at in a conversation of breathing. So the Bohr effect, essentially, what it is, is that um, your body in the, the oxygen that's attached to the hemoglobin in your blood. It's, it's not gonna be likely to release to the, to the cells in your body without the presence of carbon dioxide. So if we don't have carbon dioxide in, in our system, it's not going to tell our, bo- tell our body to essentially release that oxygen to the cells. So if you think about that, so we need carbon dioxide to release the oxygen. If you think about getting rid of hyperventilating and getting rid of as much carbon dioxide as you possibly can, your body's not going to get that signal to breathe, so it's not going to release that oxygen to um, to your your brain and your tissues, and yeah, I think there's I think there can be a benefit to it, but I think uh, for the most part, you'd be better off focusing on uh, an increased carbon dioxide state. So, like I said, with the um, with the the rhythmic breathing right? If you spend more time exhaling than inhaling, obviously we're allowing that carbon dioxide to build up, which allows us to get, uh, the oxygen delivered to our cells more efficiently.
0: Mm. Yeah. Which might, which makes sense. Yeah.
1: And they can be, they can be something that you, it, it can be something that you use both of if you want to start your day. I mean, that can, that can obviously, uh, get you going because you're getting into that very sympathetic state. But uh, for, most, for, for the most part, I would say most of my clients, one, because I'm not trained in the Wim Hof, but two, because you know I believe it's more important to, to live in a more carbon dioxide-rich environment and get oxygen flowing or uh, get oxygen delivering to the cells efficiently. But uh,
0: yeah. Sounds good. Now that makes sense. I think, does this have any, um, I guess, does this coincide with, and you were going to talk about the BOLT, uh, yeah. Is that a score or method? Does that, does this correlate at all with the Bohr method and is yeah. there a relationship between the two and is there more to talk about on the Bohr method that's worth mentioning or should we continue on with bolt?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think the Bohr effect is, is one of those things that, you know, as long as you, as long as you understand that we need carbon dioxide and our body needs carbon dioxide. And it's really like, we are always in the pursuit of like, oh, you need to take in more oxygen. You need to take in more oxygen. It's really kind of the opposite. And I think that's all you need to know is that you need carbon dioxide in order to get that oxygen delivered to the cells properly, which it seems like an inverse thing, inverse relationship, but yeah, it's, it's obviously important. Um, with, uh, with the bolt score, the bolt score, it's called the, uh, it's called bolt because it's body oxygen level test.
0: Right. I was going to say it sounded like it was an acronym for something again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a, uh, that it's a measurement that I use to track sort of changes in breathing over time. And that's what, that comes directly from Patrick McEwan and the oxygen advantage. Wow. Um, essentially what it's measuring is our body's response to the buildup of CO2. Okay. So uh, a general, uh, the general sort of uh, procedure is you take a, a normal breath in through the nose, out through the nose, you pinch your nose and then you grab your timer and you start it. And uh, this isn't a test to to see how long you can hold your breath. It's to see when your body starts to, you know, snap you out of it and, and sort of uh, tell you to take a breath. Okay. So you might have a you your throat might start to contract. Uh, you might start to feel like you need to breathe. Your diaphragm might like uh, spasm a little bit, and yeah. that's how you know when you just you, you got to stop the test. Um. So a a good bolt score like we're looking for ideally. 40 seconds that's what i train my uh, athletes and breathing clients to get to uh it takes a while to get there but um obviously that's kind of where we where we see uh the most benefit
0: yeah that okay this is this is a good um parallel then to probably talk about other mechanisms to track this as of recently um, that I've been listening and learning. I have a couple of clients who have them, not that I'm endorsed or anything like that, Um, but the whoop. uh, Yeah. So I want to talk about that. I actually want to get your opinion on it. Obviously far superior to the Apple watch uh, Garmin, other things, I guess, to give some context, a lot of my clients who tune in will know, but for other, other audience members around the world, I did used to work for Apple, so no disclaimer there, but uh, as, as phenomenal as the products are, and we are using some of them right now, um, the the Apple Watch, you know, based on the literature, it is not uh, as accurate as we think it, and, and that's not me having a go. I just think people need to understand that, you know, and like anything, take it with a grain of salt, guys. But I think when you're looking at things from a clinical Perspective and a performance aspect, you definitely need some data and metrics and a calibration tool, which is a lot more accurate. Now, from what I can ascertain, the Whoop seems to be in the right direction. I'm not saying it's the be-all and end-all, so I do want to ask you, Brandon, if that is a, a tool I don't, that may be necessary or not, or if it's even worth a look or the investment, especially for those who want to get better insight and also are more on the athletic. Uh, pursuit of performance yeah
1: yeah i think uh I, I don't have any um i don't have any uh hands-on experience with a Whoop band mm. uh but from what i've seen it it uh it is pretty interesting and it does kind of give you an idea of like how well you're breathing i know one of the things that it does over um the apple watch i at least i think i've got a i've got an apple watch right now but again mm-hmm. like obviously it's, it's got its limitations mm-hmm. um I think the the one thing that I think is very interesting is that the whoop tells you your um, your minute ventilation or like your uh, your breathing rate, your respiratory rate, and that's something that again I talked about a little bit earlier. But that's kind of um, uh, ten breaths or six breaths per minute. So um, that's something that you can kind of strive for. And obviously, you know, we don't have time to be counting. You know how many breaths we're taking per minute every day. It's just not realistic. Mm, so exactly. I, think, I think the whoop comes in that uh, that sort of realm from a very interesting perspective because it's not something that most people are looking at. And uh, yeah, so like, like I said, I don't have any hands-on experience, but I think the whoop, you know if you're if you're really interested in in tracking metrics and tracking some of those things, then I think uh, I think that might be something worth looking into.
0: Mm. yeah I um me being more of a science nerd is is quite interested in it I, I love data I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's again um imperative that people get it I've spoken to a client who has a lot of first-hand experience with it which is really good he's very um I guess mechanistically minded like me and he's had really good experience from from what I can see from some of the, the facts or the, the claims I guess is that it takes something more like ten thousand different analyses per minute or something like that? Don't quote me. Rather than the Apple Watch, so it's more bespoke to that. But I think as well, it's quite seamless on the wrist, although it does take a bit of getting used to. But it's something that is designed to to be permanently there, or for the most part, so it can actually take those readings. So I guess more research needs to be done, because um, again, guys, not sponsored or endorsed, but <laughs> definitely perhaps something to look at if you're really interested in that you know, I guess, performance or those extra percentiles, which could correlate to some feedback on, hey, you know what, I was a mouth breather. This is some of the scores. This is some of the readings. Um, Now I'm becoming more of a nasal breather. Oh, okay. Interesting Mm -hmm. to see some of the differences that might be happening, which could, even if the calibration's out, it could confirm, you know, a bias that things are moving metrically in the right direction versus, oh, you know what, I'm not regressing. This is something that actually has merit And just to use a basic example, I say to my clients all the time, I said, hey, look, well, you know, the scales that you use say to track weight, and that's one metric right you know I said even if those scales are wrong because we'll never really know we'll never 100% know exactly right because say gravity's out we've got the calculation wrong by you know <laughs> a mill or whatever it is or what whatever the metrics are I said it doesn't matter because if we're using this consistently that's the baseline and therefore if we can change the baseline over the time it's the same with skin folds it's the same with you know strength we know we're moving in the right direction so that's all we need to know because for all we know today is Wednesday right? For me, it's Tuesday for you, I believe. Well, hell yeah, it could be Saturday. Maybe, yeah. maybe there's another day in the week. I don't know. <laughs> but Exactly. So I always I always sort of use these analogies, which are quite thought provoking, but I guess to steer it back on track, um, yeah, I thought that would be worth a mention. Brandon, do you want to talk about anything more before we, I guess, now apply this in more of a strength-based setting? I'd like to talk perhaps about intra-abdominal pressure, breathing, and how these benefits, apart from, again, some of them that you've alluded to, are beneficial for strength-based athletes or physique athletes in general, and even people who just want to improve their body composition and and how you would perhaps use Um, to get specific coaching cues with your clients um, so people can actually understand, okay, this is kind of the process and obviously different metaphors, different definitions for different clients. But I guess giving us a bit of an insight to what that looks like.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the only thing that I would want to touch on that that before we get into a topic of, or the topic of like strength training or or training in general, Hmm. uh, is um, this idea of uh, locomotor respiratory coupling. Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, LRC, another fantastic three-letter acronym. <laughs> Got to love those. Yeah. Um, <laughs> essentially, it, it, essentially, all that means is that we as humans can break apart our breath cycle from gait cycle, okay? So if you look at a horse, right, a horse or any other, I believe every other quadruped mammal, um, every stride they take, they're taking a full breath, okay? Now, we as humans can separate that. So we can take 10 steps while holding our breath if we want to, but, you know, quadruped mammals can't do that. So if you think about that and you laterally apply that to the training and apply, you know, maybe the strides instead of, uh, instead of strides, it's reps. Makes sense. And so we can do reps without having to take a breath every single time. Um, uh, so yeah, that's like, that's the preface. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of your questions on, on, uh, like the training in general. And then I'm going to definitely be talking about that
0: as we go forward. Yeah, no, that's that's quite important. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about, I guess, breathing in, in general for training, strength and conditioning. Perhaps mm-hmm. we can silo it into, you know, your big compound movements, more powerlifting style versus, you know, your more isolation versus functional mm-hmm. or when we start to move from, you know, anaerobic activity to more aerobic activity and how a question that I was Get, you know, I teach people to create intra abdominal pressure. I define the core. I teach people to create a neutral spine, all of these little basic things, which a lot of unfortunately personal trainers are not taught and they're not aware of, which I think is some of the differences between strength coaches. They are simple. And I always um, come at it from a, a perspective of, hey, often uh, we're doing less, not more in this movement. Uh, your joints are all over the place. And we're just trying to create stability and mobility by understanding these fundamentals, but doing it in a way that is very simple and progressive for clients over time. They go, Oh, actually that feels a lot better. I'm like, yeah, right. Cause we're just working with our physiology. So perhaps you want to, you could even start with warming up if there's any merit to that in terms of a breathing that coincides with dynamic stretching, mobility, activation work. I'll give you the floor. You can, uh, you can direct this, drive this however you want it, Brandon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, starting from that warm up, uh, like you said, uh, that's kind of where everything starts. You know, um, I think I think we need to have a rule around nasal breathing, especially when it comes to exercise. And that is that anything sub especially like your warm up, uh, should be done through nasal breathing. Um, obviously, you know, when you get into maximal effort, like say, you know, athletic performance. Uh, that's when you, you know, you might need to, if you're working maximally, you might need to alternate between nose and mouth. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But for recovery, obviously, just start to reduce some of that, uh re- reduce the rate at which you're breathing. But mm-hmm. yeah, for, for warm-up, start as much as you can breathing through your nose. Um, yeah. And then we look at so for for training itself, um. I always look at the exercise in itself. So obviously no two, no two training sessions are going to be quite the same between, you know, coaches. Um, but if we're looking at like, let's say the squat or the deadlift or the bench press or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, let's look at the squat. So the squat is, um, it demands a lot of internal stability, right? Like you've got this weight, it's moving in free, free, free space. You have no control over it really, other than how well you're able to squat. For something like a squat, um, that's where you would want to uh, focus on, like you said, intra-abdominal pressure. So when I cue a client to uh, squat, essentially what I'm doing is I want them to take a, a breath in through the nose and I want them to have that full diaphragmatic expansion. So you should have lateral expansion of the rib cage and posterior expansion of the rib cage. So you should be creating a 360 degree breath essentially Mm -hmm. in your your ribs and your lower back. Uh, and then that is how that's, that's, what's going to dictate, you know, that intra-abdominal pressure. Okay. And holding that breath while you complete the reps. Um, and then we get into s- some more of the, you know, the machines or the externally stabilized uh, uh, implements. So, like if you're on a hack squat per se, um, that's where you know you might not need to breathe every single rep because um, you know the machine's going to take care of that for you. Whereas in a squat, uh, your core is obviously on trial a lot more.
0: Yes, I think that's a a, a good illustration there when we talk about intra-abdominal pressure when you come at it from that perspective of like you said it's a circumference of breathing into yep. the diaphragm when we look at weight belts this is something that really grinds my gears because you know we have the weight belts that a lot of what we see powerlifters use now which is generally the same diameter circumference and thickness all the way around yep. but that kind of alludes to why we breathe or why we should breathe the way we breathe, right? To create that same distribution of pressure all the way around. Now obviously there's the old school weight belts and a lot of where people wear them for fashion and we won't go down that track. But sometimes when I'm explaining this as well to people, they they are not um initially they're not aware of it. Like, oh well why wouldn't I use this? I'm like, well, it kind of defeats the purpose of almost you better wear it backwards because it's not creating that distribution, if, if anything, it's going to bias it um, you know, more towards, you know, the abdominal section rather than the back. And I think for sure we should always start. And for people listening who perhaps uh, you know, they've got the knee sleeves, they've got the shoes, they've got the belts, like guys, this is really good, but let's use to let's learn to use the body first uh, and then use that as an additional extra and not rely on it. Because I do believe that, you know, I guess to slay a misconception for anyone I does believe this but i'm i'm quite confident that most people are not in this space that it will change the circumference of your waist it certainly won't uh, unless there's evidence i'm not aware of but again if you're wearing a weight belt which is constrictive um i use kind of i guess a past analogy where corsets were worn for females can actually cause um damage over time um to, to those internal organs if, it, if it's really really tight and i think you're sort of telling your body hey we've always got this support perhaps we don't need to activate you know the abdominals or you know the TVA the core the things like that more so i don't know if there's anything you want to add on to that whether that's to do with equipment but uh, if so i just thought that was an interesting segue which really illustrated the point of why we would have the weight belts the way they are whether that changes in the future i'm not sure but i remember the first time i used one from you know a good strength coach who showed me i was like this is horrible it feels terrible he's like trust me you get used to it. <laughs> and now it's like um it's like second nature uh in these big movements but i thought that was interesting i thought i'd just throw that in yeah yeah i think uh,
1: i think the i think the weight belt itself like i think it has its its benefits right i think mm. i think when you're at that maximal load uh that's where a bit uh, weight belt could come in handy right yeah but you know training your body most of the time, if you're you're going to be training around that like 60 to 80 percent or so, um, where you know you should really be trying to use your body to its fullest potential. At least that's the way I look at it. I'm not shitting on you know weight belts themselves. I think again, like sure. I said, they have their utility, but I think uh, you know we're kind of we're kind of bypassing the the body and its natural ability to 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 brace and support the the spine and and whatnot and handle handle loads right like you have a natural weight belt in your system in your body so why not default to that rather than defaulting to this you know kind of external support which you know whether they work or not i think they do um you know i think yeah i think we need to remember that yeah the body yeah 100%
0: hundred percent agree. Uh, again, it's a band aid. you know, one of those things it's like people are kind of putting the cart before the horse. It's like, let's start with the basics and use the tool when it is necessary and uh, not rely on it. Cause like you said, those words you um, aforementioned, that's exactly what I say. So you've already gotten an inbuilt weight belt. So yeah. let's learn how to use it. Let's define us what it is. Bang. Okay, great. You know what? And then later on, you still love this strength training. You know, you love this. You want to work up, you want to do some heavy loads. Great. I'll tell you when to use a belt, but right now, let's keep it simple. Um, I guess to dive more into the training aspects, is there any other, I guess, key learnings, um, coaching cues that you use with clients for breathing? And this could be more in the rehabilitative space as well prevention and cure um or it could even be more performance and you can feel free to use real life examples if you want of some clients that you've worked with recently or, or in the past that perhaps illustrate and get a point across as well
1: yeah yeah absolutely the uh the the uh the first thing with any sort of you know rehab or or training situation is that you need to really work on um the paced paced breathing Right. Like we, we talked previously about, you know, parasympathetic versus sympathetic. You know, if you've got an injury, chances are your body's pretty pissed off and it's pretty sympathetic. You've got to, you know, calm yourself down and that'll, that will allow you to um, recover faster because obviously, you know, rest is important and breathing obviously plays to a certain degree to that. Um, I think that when I look at, you know, you know, I don't think you can really prevent an injury from happening, but as long as you can, you know, get some of the basics down, I think you're obviously going to be in a better position to handle more as a, as an athlete or a, or a client. Um, so more specifically uh, always, like I said, with the warmups, you should always be sort of pacing your breath and uh, trying to reduce your respiratory rate. Right. And if you can get more sympathetic recovery is going to be a lot easier. Uh, sleep is going to be a lot easier with that so if you can reduce your your uh, your heart rate if your mind is going focusing on your breath and concentrating on that will help you sleep better help you recover better help you perform better so on and so forth
0: yeah it makes sense and i know we've uh, we've covered quite a lot and there's probably so much more to cover. I'm just keeping an eye on the time before we get on to some more rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. I know it's been super insightful for me. I've got a, a lot to think about and take away and I'm excited to implement a lot of, I guess, these uh, nasal breathing techniques. What uh, are some, I guess, like a key resources you've, you've dropped some names and, and obviously the studies that you've had for people that want to learn more aside from learn from yourself and feel free to please drop in your links here. We will obviously revisit this at the end as well. But who are some of the key people in the industry to follow versus because there's obviously a lot of minutiae out there. There's probably a lot of people who are like any industry, they are using the names and using the buzzwords and they're perhaps not teaching good authentic knowledge. Um, Who are some of the leaders now the reason I ask this is I'm quite big into reading these days. Mm-hmm. so there's the oxygen advantage now there's also and i'm just going to bring this up excuse me on the, the media a friend sent to me it's on my uh to read list and i'm just going to bring it up and i think it's called breathe as well uh by james Nestor. Yes. so i don't know what books or resources you would recommend but i'd love to get your recommendation not only for myself but also for the people listening who want to dive deeper into this yeah, I think I think those are the two
1: that are um, that are the most probably prevalent right now in the, in the breathing industry that I think are are actually useful or useful in this sort of sense. Um, so yeah, the oxygen advantage. Obviously, that's kind of I'm I'm sort of biased towards that. I think every system has its downfall, but I think what they're putting out is some of the best uh knowledge out there and then james Nestor. i just finished reading that book and uh he includes some of the some different uh takeaway breathing exercises as well um but he also gives a, a sort of a background of like why it is that all of this stuff is important um and he's kind of the, he's kind of the example that he's a he's a reporter i think and he just sort of found an interest in this and he's he wrote a book on it which is fantastic um Another one that I that is coming out, I think uh, Patrick McEwen is coming out with another book. Um, I, ca- I think it's called the, the Breath Cure or the Breathing Cure, something like that. Right. Um, I think it's coming out in February. I would say I haven't read it yet, but I could imagine that you know he is one of the leading experts in breathing, so something like that would be interested to. I'd be interested to look at. But uh, yeah, those are those are the main resources. Some of the people to follow, obviously, there's you know, myself, I put out a fair amount of breathing content here and there. I kind of mix it up with training and, and breathing because I'm not just the breathing guy. I'm, I also yeah. do trained I'm, I am a strength coach, so I do train clients. Um, but, uh, I think there's some other people I know, I know, uh, Jordan shallow, he talks a little bit about breathing as well. Obviously he's a fantastic resource. I love that guy. Um, and then there's some other people like, I think, uh, Bill Hartman, uh, and, uh, Zach couples. So those are the other two that come to mind. And, uh, Pat, Pat Davidson, I think he, he he has some breathing stuff. It's not his focus, but he, I think he talks about it in one of his books. So, yeah.
0: No, for sure. There's quite a bit to go out there. I know there's mm-hmm. a few things on my reading list and a few people to, um, I mean, there's so much, isn't there at the yeah, end of the day? And you've got to sort of add, have a bit of a list and create a bit of time every day. Cause you've just got so much mental fortitude before it, uh, it all comes to a little bit of a close yeah. before we get into the rapid fire questions, Brandon, I want to give you the floor, metaphorically speaking, the space, the internet space we have, um, to take the opportunity to talk about anything else that you think is prevalent. I think that point at the end, yes, you are a strength coach. I don't want to try and silo you too much to just be the breathing guy. I guess that's obviously been an area of interest and the main theme in this podcast. And again, as referenced before, perhaps this is for a round two, but if you do want to talk more about anything along those lines, or if it is more on the strength based side of things as well, before we wrap up the floor is yours, my friend
1: yeah i think that's uh i think that's pretty much it we kind of covered most of the most of the uh um the main topics that i think people should uh start looking into or start researching or start implementing in their lives um i think you know like i said i'm not just the breathing guy but i do take pride in 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 integrating that with training as well because i think it needs to be integrated i think something is you know we talk about primal movements or like the squat the hinge push, pull, whatever lunge. I think breathing is one of those primal movements that we just don't talk about. And, uh, I think, yeah, in training. It's it's very important to, 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 uh, to apply. But, uh, other than that, yeah, I think, uh, I think we don't, we couldn't really go down any other routes without having this podcast be three, four hours long. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. The The return on investment on those elements is really huge, especially as a strength coach, mm-hmm. to continue adding strings to the bow that are actually you know, relevant to to the art of, of coaching and, and strength coaching in general. So no, I appreciate it. And thank you again for extrapolating. You've definitely whet the appetite uh, mm-hmm. for more. Uh, I know for myself and a lot of people listening will want to know more. So I appreciate that. And obviously um, the link's or some of the resources you've mentioned, and we'll get to yours towards the end in a moment. But the rapid fire questions, they're, they're a bit more fun in nature, um, a little bit more lighthearted, although they are relevant. Yep. So the first question that I would ask, and whatever comes to mind is, if you could choose a superpower, what would it be and why? Hmm. And I it could be anything.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think a superpower, um, I think just a, I think flying, I think that's a kind of a default one. I think that'd be pretty awesome because, you know, you could go where you want, when you want, stay in the air if you want, even with when, when, uh, you know, you're in times like this where COVID's obviously restricting airflow or air, uh, sorry, air travel, you can, uh, you can go where you want, when you want and see the world. And uh, yeah, there's no real limit there.
0: Yeah no for sure i think so i think this next question is a really good add-on to that then which is a really nice question to ask him in, in times where we are a bit restricted and this is if you could wake up anywhere in the world tomorrow perhaps by flight where would it be and why
1: i think uh i think italy i think i've, I've never been uh i've never been you know i haven't gotten a, a whole lot of travel i've just been working on school and you know doing that stuff for a lot of my life and then focusing on a career but I would uh I, I like the the lifestyle I think you know pasta every day pizza I think uh, I think the uh, it's a beautiful country for at least from what I've seen and uh, yeah I think uh, I think that's where I'd want to wake up
0: hmm great answer I can confirm my mom is Italian is an amazing place i spent many many years there and uh, yeah the the, the the pizza and pastas like their fish and chips in England. Yeah, it's yeah. just what you do, and the food quality is just yeah. absolutely divine. Uh, as well as like you said, the culture is very relaxed. Obviously, there's pros and cons, but yeah, highly um, recommend. Highly wine, recommend. yeah, I'm, oh. I'm, yeah, wine. That's another one. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong. Interesting fact though, as well. Excuse me, is that apart from I believe there's a a demographic in Japan but also Italians generally live quite long on average. And you look at their diet and you go, oh, yeah, but it's a qualitative element to the, you know, the food, but also they're very stress-free people. They, they sort of, they're very passionate, you know, they get a bit like, "Whoa!" but it's, it's all smoke and mirrors. And, uh, I think that has a lot without going too much on the tangent. Now a lot to do with the longevity. Like you look at, the traditional lifestyle over there you, you get out of the main cities you very much see where my auntie lives is is in a smaller town you know people of it's just food it's culture it's connection it's just movement relaxing spending time it's all of those things that fill the cup proverbially yeah. speaking up of of you know what we should do in life where i guess more in the western world it's not it's not western but you know, we're always so like work and stress yeah. and eating in front of screens and we're just forcing it where really it's like, you know, those guys really, to a degree, they've got it right in many respects. Yeah, maybe a little bit more work ethic is, is mm-hmm. needed, um, but, you know, they're taking the time out to to really enjoy life, which is a kind of a full circle conversation there. That's where we started with it and um, very yep. underrated, very yeah, underrated, the simple things in life are the best guys. They really are. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I
1: couldn't have said it better myself either. Like that's that exact kind of mentality and lifestyle is like what I, what I enjoy. Obviously, you know, it's so hard to get that over here, but
0: yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of merit to that. And I think, uh, and you will discover this when you go, uh, yeah. things will open up again that it, for me, it's a bit of a wake up call. It's a bit of a really big dose of I was very happy over there My cup felt very full. I was like, why, why is this? And like, yeah, okay. I've been there many times. So like I can separate the holiday, you know, period honeymoon period, but it's like, okay, I'm eating really quality food. Mm -hmm. There's no stresses at the minute. Right. Um, especially for that period of time you're, you know, dancing with people, you're connecting with people who are passionate. You're drinking, you know, great wine, great, liquids you're eating really good quality food you're getting sun you know there's history there's culture and it just proves that again people know i've said this a million times what health and relationships are at the core of happiness if you've got that you really do have everything because some of those people they don't have much but they've got their health you know they've got their relationships and they're just so happy and you're like there it is the proof is in the pizza (laughs) (laughs) yeah In this scenario, Uh, my last rapid fire question, a little bit more thought provoking. So, if you could write a social media post, you can have a picture, you can have some words, more, I guess, maximum length of an Instagram post, but every single person would see this on social media you have the best marketing in the world you get one free ticket it's going to get on facebook it's going to be on instagram twitter tiktoks so all of the whatever it is people are doing these days and everyone's going to see this that's on social what is the message what is the picture that you would deliver as of now what would you want people to know
1: um you know i got asked something similar on a on a on another podcast and it was a uh, I think it kind of, I think I'm going to kind of default to that. And I think it would just be, you know, stop worrying so much and start like actually, you know, living and enjoying your life. I think, you know, there's a quote by Mark Twain that I really enjoy. I actually just gifted one of these, it was a little reminder coin to uh, someone uh, in my family, but it's uh, worrying is like paying a debt you don't know, right? Mark Twain said that. And, uh, I think that really resonates with me because I've always been a pretty laid back person. And, uh, I think, you know, now more than ever, I think obviously I have to acknowledge my privilege in this situation. I have it pretty good. And, you know, despite having a closed down, um, you know, country and, and province here in Canada, um, you know, there's a lot to worry about, but, uh, I think accepting that, you know, you only have control over what, what, uh, what you can control. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I think that's the. I think that's the thing that I would put out there is just uh, take some time and you know
0: worry about what you have control over and nothing else. I Love it, yeah. love it. Definitely strikes a chord with me uh, and my philosophy. And also, always wonderful to to listen back to wiser minds with more experience in history that have changed the world. A lot to be a lot to be learned. Sure. And my final question, Brandon, that I ask all my guests is can you identify a fear in your life can be past can be current that you're working on or you have overcome and what you learned from that fear? Um,
1: I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of a lot. There's nothing external to myself that I'm afraid of. Um, I think something that I've, that I've worked on probably the most and, uh, you know, I don't know how well of a speaker I am. You guys, being you know listeners, you can you can judge me on that. But I think uh, being in you know being uh, in a in a in a public situation where you know I'm forced to talk and formulate thoughts well, and I think uh, confidence plays plays a lot into that. Um, you know, I think being a trainer and being a coach has made the biggest impact on my life in that situation um, because you know you're forced to talk to people and you're forced to to like build these relationships with people. And uh, I think it's extremely rewarding. I think that's the most, that's the most I think I've gotten out of this uh, career in this industry is that, you know, the connections you can build with people. It uh, doesn't matter if you're online, doesn't matter if you're in person, it's like you have a human in front of you and just that interaction is uh, beautiful in itself. And I think that goes back to kind of the Italy talk is that just, you know, you get to forge these great community or uh, great relationships.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. People communication is, you know, very, very critical. And I don't think technology will ever outweigh that human element. Even if we do live in a technological world, which is ran more by AI and robots, I think people will crave even more the humanistic element of touch of communication, of interaction and acknowledgement. And look, I think you've, done an absolutely superb way of articulating yourself with concepts you speak very well Uh, i know i've learned a lot i'm really grateful that i'm able to speak with people like you and all around the world and again technology is allowed to supplement that supplement and enhance the human element of communication so now, I, th- I thank you again for sharing, Brandon. I think you're doing you know, some tremendous work in the space, hence why I reached out to you. I've really, really genuinely enjoyed this chat. It's definitely given me more insight and takeaways, and I am very confident that everyone on the other end of this microphone or earpiece, uh, wherever you're listening, is, is also nodding along as well. Before we wrap it up, um, where can people find you, more about what you do your courses your coaching and all of the above please plug away my friend
1: yeah absolutely uh thank you thank you again so much for having me i think it's uh i think yeah i really enjoyed the conversation we had and you know it's you know we talked about training we talked about um breathing but we also you know talked about life and i think that's what it's all about i think i think uh having that human element is a very real part and shouldn't be shied away from but uh, in terms of where you can find me, I'm uh, I pretty much live exclusively on Instagram. I don't really uh, have anywhere else to uh, to plug, but uh, my handle is uh, is uh, Brandon uh, schultz. so S C H U um, L T Z E. That's pretty much exclusively where you'll find me. Yeah, so uh, whoever's listening, reach out, please start a conversation. I am more than happy to talk breathing training, anything with you. So, thank you.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, make sure to head over there, everyone. As always, I will put those links in the description below, whether that's on YouTube, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, as always, wherever you're listening on your favorite media platforms. Brandon, thank you once again. An absolute pleasure indeed. And a great way to summarize what's been a very thought provoking conversation for everyone listening. I will ask a small favor. As always, if you are on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, comment with anything you thought was valuable perhaps you've got some questions queries concerns it all helps make sure to share it around if you enjoyed it taking that extra minute to do it don't be selfish share the knowledge with someone else it really does help the channel grow and get this information to more people and of course if you're on Spotify or iTunes and it is safe to do so you're not driving you're not on a bike um, I would encourage you to take a moment to leave a rating and a review because it's not just about the feedback it's about again raising those views And it really helps when we get that feedback. So, more people can perhaps get onto this knowledge too. So, thank you, as always, everyone, uh, for listening and tuning in. And of course, until the next episode, stay fearless.